Welcome to the Ecom Profit Podcast. I'm your host, Dawn Sinkula, and this is the 2023 mashup best of the Ecom Profit Podcast. And I just want to say thank you so much to everyone for all of your support and listening to the podcast this last year. This happens to be the 100th episode, and I am just so grateful to everyone who has listened, my team who has helped support me, um, and all of my podcast guests. This has been an amazing, amazing journey. I am so excited for what's to come in 2024. And you and I um, traveled this last year to Greece together and had an amazing experience when we were there, both um, personally, professionally, with another group of women. And, you know, we we were walking down this beautiful pathway and had this amazing conversation and the ocean was, you know, going in the sun. And it was just like this magical moment off to, I think, have like wine and and treats and things like that. And we sort of had this conversation about, gee, wouldn't it be amazing if we could do something kind of different with, with business? And what if we could do this with women and had this really amazing sort of conversation around all of these different ways that women could be doing a synergy collective sort of experience. So maybe talk a little bit about from your frame, sort of how that kind of came into your head and and what that is a little bit so that we can expand more on how there needs to be this shift in what, and I'm going to speak to women that I think this is true for men specifically as well, but we'll, we'll kind of stay in the feminine side of women's business specifically, but let's talk about that a little bit that experience that you and I had and, and sort of what's becoming of that. Right. So Don and I fell in love with um, Ikaria Greece. I mean, I mm-hmm. already had fallen in love with it and filmed an online course there and brought uh, everyone back uh, yes. so that I could enjoy it again. Um, so the, the biggest part of my business on uh, a spreadsheet level, as well as a heart level, as a personal satisfaction level, joy all the things has been my creatively fit coaching certification. So I Mm -hmm. certify creatively fit coaches online, which means I teach them how I teach art, um, give them the experience of the sacred and personal painting practice in such a way that they are empowered and trained to turn around and share it with others. Um, I started that training very unexpectedly in in 2010 after receiving this long, passionate email from a woman in um, Nigeria um, in which she asked me if I had an African branch. And, you know, my ego, logical, rational mind almost choked at that question because (laughs) it was it was just me. It was I was a, you know, a woman entrepreneur, you know, doing my thing, me out to the audience, whoever that was, that was the flow, right? It had to come through me to my clients. And um, in the process of opening up to my intuition, which means I gave uh, myself 24 hours before I replied to this email, because the energy in the email did not match my kind of choking, like, I don't have response, right? Yeah. So I waited 24 hours. So this is a way to invite in the intuition within mm-hmm. that time, two people in this county of only 7,000 people mentioned Nigeria to me. 
literally like the Catholic oh. priest in town was going home to Nigeria and the guys who were starting the local Wi-Fi business, one of them was raised in Nigeria. It's the only time I've heard anyone else say that word in this county. <laughs> um, so I went back to that email, very open, curious about what I was being called into. Yeah. You, know, you notice these disruptors in your business. They come as a surprise mm -hmm. and they feel oddly in alignment, even though, yeah. you know, I remembered um, at a book signing in New York City, I don't know when that was, uh, you know, at some point in that pattern, 2010, a young woman had asked me if I taught people to teach art the way I teach. And my answer mm -hmm. was, we're working on that. So there was no we. And I, I wasn't working on it, but that was my way of staying open to possibility, which is yeah. a really important thing right now, because what I know, like I know, is that we have way more solutions than we have problems, yep. right? So you just stay open when things uh, come into your awareness. So the short of it is I created Project Nigeria, where yep. it takes a village and the result of this three month training, uh, bundling three of my little online programs and meeting on free conference call twice a month um, would be that they become certified creatively fit coaches. Mm -hmm. uh, then I put the training very quietly on my website because I was still hearing that ego raging at me being like, girl, you don't, you're not certified in anything. You have no training, no official, anything, no business certifying people. And yeah. I'm like, you're right. But I'm just going to see if, you know, if this is needed, if this is wanted, uh, you know, people will yeah. let me know. So January, 2011, 18 people signed up for that training and I've done it two or three times a year ever since. So now we are 500 plus creatively fit coaches worldwide. Well, you know, I, I love this story because so many of my clients um, at the agency and brands that I talk to start their brand or start their business for a specific need or a specific reason. Right. And sometimes it's because they can't find it in the marketplace. Sometimes it's because they can't, you know, find what they're, you know, the particular formulation, they can't find a product or service that fits within it. And I, I love how you then just kind of created your own thing. Right. And, and there's yeah. a bit of a sustainability, like wasteful model in there as well, that I think is really yeah. important too, because I feel like you're so spot on with the, um, ability for brands to give you a sample and then, and, or then they want to give you a full product and are happy to give you the money back, but it's so wasteful if you can't use it. So this, this concept of samples is, is really amazing. Okay. So how did you get then into the industry of doing this? Because like you said, you had to be a dermatologist, you have to be, you know, in the healthcare practice practitioner field, whatever, how did you break into being able to offer samples then and, and tell me about that experience? Yeah, I, it was a lot of research. Um, I was, I was looking at, there were makeup sample boxes yeah. and makeup samples. So, yeah. you know, Sephora and Ulta, that was a thing. And I was looking at these other sort of the, um, Allure has one and Ipsy and a few other yeah. brands, but I couldn't use any of their products because they, you know, very few of them are fragrance free and, yep. um, or really suited for the 
eczema and sensitive skin community. And so I saw that and I'm like, there's has to be samples out there. I knew that germs were getting, dermatologists were getting samples. Yeah. So, so yeah, so I started reaching out to brands, um, uh, <laughs> a bit cold calling, I guess, finding as any contacts I could find on LinkedIn. Mm. Um, and then sometimes I'd find uh, phone numbers and just trying to reach out to anyone I could and pitching my story, really showing my, what I've experienced. And, and yeah, I was surprised by a number of them that they took a chance and they said yes, and, um, were able to give me some samples and yeah. So we, so that's how I started it. That's amazing. And I, I think that's really a, a, there's a story of tenacity there, right. Of like picking up the phone and actually calling and talking to someone is like unheard of these days, right? We do everything so digitally and, and all sorts of stuff. So actually like pitching your story and telling your story and kind of boots on the ground, sort of grassroots sort of approach to things. And I think your story is so relatable to so many different people before the interview, you and I had had conversations about my own health issues mm -hmm. with allergies and how challenging it can be to find skincare, any types of products. I don't have eczema, but I have other allergies that are really bad and everything's made with almond oil or, you know, some sort of nut thing or whatever. And it, there's a big, big need out in mm -hmm. this this health and beauty space of that. So fulfilling the need and then having brands actually say yes is amazing. Now, what we probably are more used to is what I think of when I think about AI, it's like those chat bots, right? So like the, the little bots that pop up on websites or, um, the little like automated messages that you get when you type in a question to different, you know, tech tools or SAS tools, and it pops up with, Hey, here's like the most frequently asked questions. Those are amazing, amazing time savers for business owners, because you don't have to have an actual person there to, you know, be on call 24 seven, who answers those questions. You can set up a chat bot chatbot live is one. There's a whole bunch of different, th different tools that do that, but you can set up frequently asked questions and then you can type in or have repurposed answers to those questions. You can have different, um, links to articles that ask, ask and answer those questions. You can have a library like a Wikipedia or anything like that as a business owner where you can automatically, um, have those questions answered and you don't have to have a person available for that. So yes, it saves time. It's efficient. Now, some people still obviously are going to need to talk to a human, but from a, you know, functionality operational perspective, I think AI is really going to help us as business owners save time. So if I can have somebody do or an, an artificial intelligence person do a text to speech note-taking. If I can have a AI bot answer most frequently asked questions, if I can have a AI intelligence do, um, blog posting or SEO work, or do something for me, that's going to save me time as a business owner. Why on earth would I not use it?
Now there's a lot of different sort of, I think, philosophies on how this is going to change the landscape of marketing specifically, but let's talk a little bit about the efficiencies that business owners, marketing or otherwise can save. I mean, if you don't have to have a human to do some of these things, yeah, it's efficient, right? It's going to save you time. It's going to save you money. But from a marketing perspective, I get asked a lot of questions specifically about, you know, chat GPT. And this is, I mean, if you just Google chat GPT, or if you go onto Twitter and you type in the hashtag chat GPT, you will see, you know, thousands of different posts about this particular tool. It has become all of the rage. And the reason that it's become all of the rage is because it really is a pretty fascinating tool. Now, how I have used this or how I think about using this when it comes to content creation and marketing specifically is where I want to dig in a little bit more today. So, you know, the question around can artificial intelligence, chat GPT specifically, really boost content creation and marketing? I think it can. I don't think that it is going to, in theory, replace humans. And I don't think that we are going to uh, use artificial intelligence, at least not at this point, in place of copywriters, in place of humans, in place of having that sort of intellectual, emotional intelligence that's so needed when you are writing for people, but I do think that it is going to be able to help us move the needle and make it faster and give us a jumping off place for how we as marketers save time. And the cool thing about chat uh, GPT is that it gets smarter and smarter the more information you get it. And that I think is the really cool part about this particular tool. Let's kind of start back at the basics for just a minute about Web3. What, so for those that don't maybe know what that means or what that is or how to think about it in terms of, you know, everyday understanding, how would you describe that or what would be sort of your definition for, for the common person <laughs> who might not be as, as knowledgeable about it as you? Exactly. And I think, I think bucketing it into three buckets can be helpful. Okay. So number one, number one is blockchain. So blockchain is the idea that we're storing information across many computers in a decentralized distributed and public way. And that mm -hmm. could be any amount of data or any type of data. So it started with financial data and like stores of value, monetary stores, but I'm sure most of your listeners have heard about the NFT craze. And that's this idea yeah. that you would own what feels like something you can't own a JPEG, um, but you would own it because there's this distributed public network of computers that's saying that you Don own this picture of a beautiful monkey right? or whatever. So that's one aspect. Um, and it's very important because of it's a question of ownership. And it's a question when you're talking about all that public data, it's a question of identity, which, you know, all mm -hmm. markers are consumed, yeah. concerned with who am I marketing to? Right. Um, and, and can I legally market to them? Um, <laughs> So just number the thing, yeah, right. Yeah, just, <laughs> just that part. CPA, GDPR, right. whatever. Um, <laughs> so number two, 
would be immersive 3D internet technologies. So whether you want to call that the metaverse or whether you just want to call it Roblox, these are new ways for us to in, to interact with content online. Um, and it whether and also whether or not it's VR or AR or mobile, you know, this is a different, yeah. it's a richer internet experience. And that's one where I think it's really just an evolution, but it's useful to think of it as like a sea change. Yeah. Um, and then lastly, I think more and more people are bucketing AI into Web3 because mm-hmm. AI will drive so much of this. It's so necessary for world building. It's so necessary for, you know, just using data in new and interesting ways and, and populating metaverses. And there's right. so many, I mean, you could go on and on. Right. Um, so anyways, I think those are the three buckets. Yeah. Well, you know, there's so many good things on on that, the community and the and the finding your thing. And I, I always love to hear the stories of how people came to their entrepreneurial journey and how they kind of came into, you know, their thing, right? This yeah. is the same with me in a marketing agency. I was kind of doing the same thing where I was like consulting with people all the time and they'd be like, well, don't you have anybody that can do that for you? And I was like, Hmm, light bulb moment. Yeah, Maybe right. Some people, right? <laughs> okay, let's do that. Let's do it. So it's, you know, it's kind of one of those things where it's like, all right, well, I feel lonely. I'm going to create something that's going to, you know, empower, empower and inspire yeah. other people to do, you know, those types of things. So in the subscription box that you had initially, you know, people think about, you know, how do they find their people? How do they know if this is a, a good idea? So it's, it's going to take, a, this question is going to take a little bit of a turn off of the actual boxes themselves. Sure. But when you think about starting something particularly like this, that is a little bit different than maybe what you had initially planned to do, right? How did you know it was a good idea? So you didn't hit your goal, but you still knew it was like, something to go ahead on what kind of, you know, for our audience, tell us a little bit about how you just kind of, did you just trust yourself? Was there something in the data? Did you hear feedback? I mean, how did you know that like, this is what I should continue to do? All those things. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) But a couple of things that stick out to me are that I guess I'm naturally a a risk taker. Yeah. Uh, When I left corporate America to be a stay-at-home mom, that never was the plan, but it felt right in the moment. And if you would have asked me at the time, you know, what's your, what's it going to be in 30 days, in three months, in three years, I I didn't know. And we were willing to take that risk. Now at the time we had a little bit of leeway because my husband was on a salaried job. He was a teacher. Mm -hmm. And so we were we had to change things to live on one salary. Yeah. So, you know, that's one thing is you, you take a risk, but you may have to pivot and adjust. You may have to um, change your life in other ways. And then the other thing is, and this is like a very tactical thing. Yeah. I was able to, I started out with custom boxes. So I went to a box printer. I said, this is my product. I want to print custom boxes. And I was going to be able to save a lot of money by committing to 250 boxes instead of a hundred. And in my mind, I said, come hell or high water, I'm going to sell 250 boxes because that was my investment. And I'm going to sell these boxes. I don't want to be stuck with a bunch of custom boxes. So it kind of gave me that, okay, here's your next goal is let's sell 250. I'm very goal oriented. And yeah. so you tell me to hit a goal, or if you tell me I can't hit a goal, man, that lights a fire. <laughs> That's right? I am too. Like, you like you that tell too? me I can't, I'll show you I can't. Exactly. <laughs> right. Exactly. And so that was, that was kind of it for me. If we were going to invest into this yeah. business, I was going to commit to selling at least 250 boxes. 
And that happened in the first couple of months. And a hundred boxes to me or a hundred subscribers yeah. was, it, it kind of feels like an arbitrary number, but I thought that if I can get a hundred people to put their credit card down for this product, sure. it yeah. had legs and it was worth, worth chasing. Yeah. For sure. I love that because that, you know, I think a lot of times people are scared to take the risk when they mm -hmm. think about pivoting or trying something different. I think there's always sort of this, well, you have to sell so many just to prove that it has legs or you have to do this to prove that it's a real deal. And I agree with that to a certain degree. You know, I, I'm yeah. not a big fan of like, you know, spending a whole bunch of money on something that you don't know that's going right, to work. But right. sometimes you do have to just kind of like, you know, go with your gut a little bit mm -hmm. in the fact that, you know, if this is something that people are interested in, or you can really find your passion around it, a lot of times with that passion comes success, right? Regardless. Yeah. So figuring out how it will work is sort of secondary to the passion that comes at the front, right? Right. And my friend Bevan told me the other day, she uses this, this phrase for herself. She says, I'm going to chase a goal or I'm going to pursue a business until it no longer serves me. Yeah. And so that to me, I was like, that makes so much sense because if after I sold those 250 boxes, I wanted to stop that business, sell yeah. that business or pivot that business, I could. Right. So you right. know, you have the option. It's just, sometimes we have to put our ego aside or yeah. our fear and we have to, you know, put our fear aside, but you can be scared and brave at the same time. That's the way exactly. I look at it. Exactly. I love that. you know, I, I'm sure you've seen this as well. And I know I have experienced it as well as seen it in business, female business owners, startup, female business owners, trying to be successful business owners that have been successful female business owners. And there's always a little bit of this imposter syndrome, mm. if you want to call it that, or, or, or something that's telling me that I'm just not quite, you know, I, I have this thing where, you know, sometimes I'll think in my head, Oh, well, I'm kind of older than everybody else. Should I really be online or should I really be saying this or should I? And I'm thinking to myself, why am I saying that? Of course I should be, you know, I know more about the, 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 but there's these games that you play with yourself in your head where I don't know where, where does that come from and how, how, how do we get over it? It's not from you. So know that that voice and how you're hearing it is not coming from you. That's mm. coming from whatever filter has been implanted. And so the, the ability for you to do at the, the process that we, we do is looking at what feels new yeah. that we can inject curiosity onto because the opposite of judgment is curiosity. And there's uh, the emotional cycle of change where we have this, you know, excitement of optimism where it's new, we're exciting. We don't know what we don't know, but it's going to be amazing. Yeah. And then that little voice, pokes up that little inner critic or fear, fear voice comes in. It's like, but wait a second, we don't know everything we've got gaps. And so it starts to pick up in the judgment and it starts to drop us into pessimism. Yeah. And then our focal point becomes, well, we got to collect everything. We don't know. We got to look at all the fear, all the fear. Let's gather, gather, gather. And before we know it, we're in this valley of despair, this funk, this funk yes. journey, we become stuck in it. And so at any point we can stop and get curious. And the way that you do it is just by asking questions that start with, I'm curious and make a list of it, set a timer for five to 10 minutes and just write a list of curious questions. 
what that will do is start to actually put you in action and problem solving. Where we get into trouble is when our mind just starts to race because it's just looking at uh, risk factors and um, speculation and, and all this forward stuff where we don't have enough information on. So we have to look at what are the areas that we need support with, we need more resources on, we need more information, or we need more time and experience. And yeah. before we know it, that curiosity starts to move us back into optimism because we start to gain some credibility, we gain some traction, and then we have informed optimism. Yeah. So everything is going to feel awkward because it's new. And yeah. if it wasn't new, it would be boring. And none of us would be entrepreneurs because we would just right. be plugging things in and going about our merry way. So this is the stretching outside of the comfort zone. Our brain is looking for patterns. It's looking for the known stuff. And because it doesn't have anything to latch onto, it defaults into our fear response, our stress yeah. response. So all we have to do is just acknowledge that that's what's happening and yeah. then look at, okay, in the past, when this has happened, what has worked for me? Do I need to call somebody? Do I need to tap into my network? Do I need to go research? And I think the first step is, do I just need to sit down and write some damn questions down? Right. I love that. I love that because you're absolutely right. I, I think so many of us get into this funk to use your words, or we get into the cycle of despair where we're, how do we get out of this? What do we do? And then we start to become busy. Right. And I like that term. Busy means so many things to so many people, but I always feel like you know, I'm not successful unless I'm super busy or, you know, when I, when, when I'm not in chaos, something must be wrong, you know, and over time I've learned to, you know, kind of recognize my own patterns with that and what that means for me. But I think a lot of times in business, particularly, and I'll speak to the entrepreneur, we feel like we have to be in that state of overwhelm, which mm -hmm. feels like fear, which feels like imposter syndrome feels like, oh my gosh, things, if they go this way, I'm going to crash. If they go this way, mm -hmm. I could, and, and we kind of create this cycle yeah. for ourselves. Would you agree with that? I mean, is it, yeah. we kind of do it to ourselves a little bit, right? Well, I, what I've noticed is that we've taken the model of when we were working in corporate or when we we're at school and we've implanted it into our businesses. Yes. And so what I always challenge people to do is to think about how do you want to feel in your business? Mm -hmm. How do you want to interact? Like if, you're, if your business is your best friend, how do you want to interact every day? How do you want to show up? How do you want to wrap it up? And then how do you structure it in a way that has you prioritize that feeling? I think the problem is, is we're not intentional about it. We're just like busy means active, means productive. But being productive means that we're producing something that's important, right. that's a value. And so I think we first have to understand what does success look like? Right. What does a successful day feel like? Yeah. And then what are those micro shifts and decisions that support that every day? Yeah. I love the, I love the idea of just writing things down simply. I mean, even as you're standing at your desk or working at your desk, you sort of have that fear just writing down the curiosity questions. It just kind of even triggers you to get out of your own head and to yep. break that pattern and cycle. And that's something very simple and easy that people can do today, right? And Absolutely. Start, start writing things down. <laughs> there And there is science behind this. So only 3% of the population has a goal and only 1% of it writes it down. And those who do are 42% more likely to achieve it. Okay. So let's, let's say that one more time. So everybody can like hone in. All right. Here, here's the drop. 3% of the population has a goal. Wow. 1% writes that goal down. 
and 42%, you're 42% more likely to achieve your goal when you write it down. Again, just thank you so much for listening. Bigger and better things are coming in 2024 for all of us, and I can't wait to share them with you. Thanks again for listening to the Ecom Profit Podcast.